I was reading a magazine article this week written by a guy called Jerry Seville, who's a preacher in America. And he was talking about, um, I think it was Nigeria, it was somewhere in Africa he went to, and uh, he went over with Owen Roberts, who was a, if you don't know who he was, he was um, amazing, had an amazing healing ministry, um, especially through the 50s, amazing tent crusades, and even later that, out of that started Owen Roberts University. And he's actually the guy who... Um, it used to be that if you wanted to go to the, the doctor and, you know, you need to get an X-ray or you need to get a blood test and everything else, you had to go, like, to the doctor in one place and then you had to go across the other side of town to get your blood test and you had to go to somewhere else to get an X-ray and these sorts of things. And, and he was the guy that God actually spoke to him about putting a hospital and actually putting all these services in one place. So he actually created medical centres. And he was the first one to come up with the concept of actually having, you know, the doctor and then the blood test place next door and then the, you know, the X-ray place next door and so on. He was the first guy to put this together, which, you know, makes sense. If you're not feeling well, you don't want to run all over town, right? And it was out of that. And, and he started this whole hospital and, and, and did that. Interesting enough, it was all going and actually linked it up with the university and they used to use it as a teaching hospital for doctors and so on. And then as other people started to copy and do it, God spoke to him and said, close it. And he went, but it's going really well. And he said, yes, but it's achieved its purpose. And that was to change how people think about treating those who are sick. That, you know, you can now go to the doctor and, you know, go next door and get your x-ray done and in even the same room almost go and get yourself a blood test. And it changed that whole thing. Anyway, so Oral Roberts was over with Jerry Seville and they were in, I think it was Nigeria, but somewhere in Africa, and what they were doing was actually, um, they were talking to the, the vice president of this nation and saying, look, we actually want to build a hospital here um, in this certain city. We see there's a need for this hospital. <clears throat> so Jerry Seville was offering to pay for the construction of the hospital and Oral Roberts were going to provide through their university, they were going to provide the doctors and the nurses and, and the staff to be able to handle the main staffing and then they would employ locally as well and so on. And, and they were talking in this meeting and, and it was Jerry Savelle's sort of drive and Oral Roberts was just sort of there. And, and they're talking backward and forward and, and the vice president of this nation's you know, talking in this meeting and, and Oral Roberts is scribbling something on this piece of paper and then he screws it up and throws it across the room into the bin and pulls out another one and he starts writing again and then he screws it up and throws it in the bin. And, and Jerry Savelle's getting distracted by Oral Roberts doing this because Oral Roberts to him is like a, a father in the faith. And he's sort of getting distracted by this whole thing in this very formal meeting with this vice president. And after about half an hour of doing this, he, he nudges Jerry and slides his paper across him that's folded up and he says, have a look at that. And, and Jerry says, I'm, I'm trying to listen to the, the vice president. Can I do it later? And he says, no, no, you need to do it now. And so he opens up and it's got this wording and he can't read it. And he turns to Oral Roberts and he says, what is it? And he says, it's Oral Roberts written backwards. And he's like, I'm sitting in this meeting with the vice president of the nation and you're writing your name backwards for half an hour. And he says, what do you mean by that? And he says, my name written backwards. And he says, are you bored? And he says, yes, I am. And he actually said to the vice president, sorry, can you give us a minute? And he says, you're bored? And he says, yes, I'm really bored. He said, what do you mean you're bored? He said, I'm bored with you, I'm bored with him, I'm bored with all the talk going on around here. He says, what do you mean? He says, to build this hospital, you need 10 times the land you're asking this man for. He says, I'm bored because you're thinking small. 
And Jerusalem sort of looked at it and he went, you're right. But see, he thought, that's all I can get to build this hospital. And he turned to Robertson and he said, well, you ask him for it. And so he said, oh, Roberts did. And he said five minutes later they had ten times the land. And he turned to Jerry and he says, don't ever think small in my presence again. It's too boring. <laughs> all right? So this is a guy, I mean, oh, Roberts, he comes from a very humble background. Doesn't, you know, his, his mother was Indian, I think. Um, yeah, he was, he was just a preacher in a church. And God spoke to him and, and just took him on this journey from step to step to step to step. And he actually tells a story of um, a book called, I think it's called Sea Time of Harvest. But he talks about he was in this church and he made $55 a week. That was the salary as a pastor. And they didn't have anywhere to live in this church. They actually shared a two-bedroom house with another family. So they had a couple of kids of their own, and they're in this two-bedroom house as a family. And his wife's getting a bit upset with him eventually and says to him, look, if you don't do something about getting us a house, I'm going back to my mum. I'm going to take the kids with me. I'm just going to leave you here to sort this out. And so he's in church, he's in the service that night, and he's sort of going, what, you know, what am I going to do about this? And he felt impressed to actually take up an offering to put a deposit on a parsonage, a house for the pastor to live in, so not just for them in that church, but when they left, the next person could come and live there. And so he stood up and preached on that, and then he, he actually took his $55 check and said, I'm giving the first bit, and put it in there. And he said, by the end of that service, they'd raised enough for a deposit. I think it was about $1,000 for a deposit, so that gives you an idea what 20% deposit was back then. In buying a house is the 1950s. And they'd raised enough by the end of that service to actually put a deposit down on a house for them, for the pastor of that church. And he comes home and he's excited. He's absolutely thrilled and walks into his wife and he says, you know, this is what happened and, you know, we raised enough. And she looked at him and she said, how much did you give? And he went, no, look at you. And she goes, how much did you give? And he said, my whole pay. She just looked at him. She goes, and how am I supposed to feed the kids for the week? Where are we going to get our food from? And he sort of stopped and thought about that and went, hmm, that's probably an issue. <laughs> so he says, he went to bed that night and it was a very cold bed. <laughs> Felt very frosty in there. He says, at four o'clock in the morning, there's this banging on the door. He jumps out and opens the door and he said, this is a guy called Art who's one of the farmers in his, uh, in his church. And Art looks at me and says, oh, he says, Brother Roberts, listen, I, I didn't get a chance to, to, to give. I gave a little bit in the offering today, but I've been laying on my bed. I've been tossing and turning all night and God's been speaking to me and he pulls out $400 and hands it over and says, God told me to give you this. I had to go and dig it out in my backyard. I buried my cash out there because 1950s, you know. That's what he did. On his farm, he said, I had to go and dig it up. He said, here's $400 God told me to come and give this. And he says, you know, I'm a farmer and I plant seed and I harvest and so I'm giving you this as a seed towards meeting my needs. And he says, the revelation he got was greater than the $400 that he received from this guy. Remember, his paycheck's 55 bucks. That he's given like, you know, 8 o'clock that previous. By 4 o'clock the next morning, he's reaped $400 on that. But he said the biggest revelation he got out of that was the power 
of seed time and harvest. And Genesis says that. If you read Genesis chapter 8, this is like Noah, you know, he does the whole, should I use the ark over there and done the whole illustration, you know. Let me find it because I want to read exactly what it says to you. Are we okay? We, we're getting where we're going. I just want to lay a foundation. You feel like I'm telling you to suck eggs? Good. Never sucked an egg. Actually, that's not true. I sucked a cream egg once. Yeah, the chocolate cream eggs. It's quite nice. I thought about putting a straw in and just sucking out the inside and see how it goes. Might do that next Easter. Anyway. <laughs> feel a bit tipsy, it's all right. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. So this is after the whole, you know, flood thing. Noah and the ark, and he comes out of the ark and he builds the altar. And God says, I'm not going to destroy everything, but he says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Seed time and harvest will not cease. And Oral Roberts says, in that moment, he says he got the revelation that everything in the kingdom of God is seed time and harvest. Everything is about sowing and reaping. That's how God's kingdom works. That's the whole foundation of what he does. He made the whole earth to operate about seed, sown, and reaping. Everything comes from a seed, right? You came from a seed, right? Your enthusiasm is overwhelming. Do we have to do biology 101? (laughs) Everything comes from a seed. And it's actually how we're created to operate. But our problem is that we don't, one, believe in seed time and harvest, and two, we don't think big enough to harvest. We have a limited span that we've created around ourselves. You know, John Maxwell calls it our ceiling. Everybody's got a ceiling. And it's not about how talented you are. It's not about how brilliant you are. It's not about what you have. It's about how you think. You know, the Bible says that as you think, so you are. In other words, every thought you've had up to right now has made you who you are right now. Has placed you where you are right now. And your whole situation is based on how you think. So if you don't like where you're at, you're going to have to change how you think. And if you like where you're at, then keep thinking it. Because you see, one thing I've discovered over the last few weeks is stuff happens. And it's not that stuff happens, it's what you do with the stuff that happens in your life, whether it's good or bad. You know, you take Mary... She has a visitation from an angel that says you're going to be pregnant. Now you think, that's fantastic, except that she risks being stoned because she's pregnant out of wedlock. And she had a tough road. She had to go and tell Joseph, who at first rejected her because she was pregnant, to someone else. And didn't really believe the whole God impregnated me thing at first. But you can understand. 
Yeah? That's a tough road. But see, she held the course. She thought right. And Joseph came in line. But it wasn't an easy road from there. Because they would have got married and people still would have been talking. Because she was pregnant before they were married. People would have known. And then just when she's about to have the baby and she wants that, I just want to be at home in my space, they have to go to another city. And it's not like you just jump in the car and drive down the road and I'm heading to Bustleton, no worries. A couple of hours down there, we're there. We're talking about walking and riding donkeys for a rather long period of time. In the stinking heat. It's not a pleasant journey. And then when they get there, there's nowhere to stay. (coughs) The places are full. You see, life will deal up stuff. You know, she has the baby. They would have finally got a room and everything settled in. The wise men come, bring these amazing gifts. Oh, it's so cool. And then God says, now it's time to leave. And not just leave, you're actually going to leave this beautiful, comfortable place and go across to where your enemy resides and live there. They had to flee to Egypt. That's a pretty tough start to life. It wasn't all smooth and lovely and wonderful. And you know what? Life is not smooth and lovely and wonderful. But you see, it's interesting because I was thinking on this and then I'm reading... And I read a prophecy that Kenneth Copeland gave a little while ago. And I was just like, whoa. It was was just saying exactly what God was saying to me. You know what? God said to Satan, crawl on the belly, right? That was the curse in Genesis, yeah? Are we following this? I know I'm jumping, but I just want to put some stuff together because we need to change how we think. God's saying thinking too small. Thinking is wrong. We're settling. There's a settling in this place. There's a settling in our hearts that God's going, I don't want you settled. I don't want you to go, oh, this is okay. He's saying, I want you to take it and I want you to use what you've got as a seed and let it grow. But our problem is that we've become like Satan and we've settled here on earth. And God's saying, come up. I didn't make you to walk around on earth. I made you to come up. He says, I've seated you in heavenly places. I've made you to come up to where I am and to get a perspective that's bigger on life, to get a perspective that's bigger on all that's around you. And our problem is that we're down here walking through the dust, letting everything around us look bigger. And he's saying, no, come up. I have seated you in heavenly places. I've made you to walk the heavens, to look down upon these things, to be bigger than them. And to take the things that I've given you. So the problem is we're looking at the things we're giving you and we're, look, we're looking at our houses and our cars and our finances and our jobs and our, and our stuff and we're looking at it and we're going, this is mine and we're letting it become big and it's becoming our safety net. And God's going, no, you've got to get up there and see the things that you have are actually seed. You know, I look at this house. God gave us this house at seed. We intentionally look for a place where we can bring people together 
and we could meet together. <coughs> when we bought this house, it was ugly. That was my first impression. We actually looked at it and the front garden and all that sort of stuff. We went through and we went, this is an ugly house. We don't like this house. That was our first thought. Yeah? And then we went and looked at another couple of houses and, and we saw this house and outside it was beautiful. And we went inside and it was lovely, but it was too small. It didn't have the space for people to come. And so we had to come back to the ugly house. And we sort of knew when we came back to the ugly house that this was the place for us to buy. And we're going, but God, it's ugly. We don't like it. It's not what we're wanting. But see, we had to go up. And when we went up, we could see what God's plan and purpose was for this place. It's a seed. It's a tool. It's a resource to use to sow into the kingdom of God. And so we bought the house and we had to pull the whole garden out. And that wasn't easy. It took sacrifice and time and digging massive holes and cutting off the stupid roots and these stupid bushes and things like this and pulling the silly things out. And I hate gardening at the best of times. And then we have to paint the walls and then watch them get scratched and watch them get marked. And then we have to clean the floor twice every weekend, sometimes three times. You know, there's a week I mopped this floor five times in one week. It's not a small floor. It keeps going through the house. You see, there's a sacrifice in what you do. There's a price you pay in what you do. But if you don't see what you have, if you are looking at what you have and you're sitting back and going, this is all good, then you are looking from the wrong perspective. You are down here going, everything's great. But God is saying this morning, you're looking at what you have from the wrong perspective. You need to go up and see what you have in the context of my kingdom because it's a seed. God has given you what you have to use for his kingdom because, you see, your real home is up there. And the mansion that's up there makes what you have down here look like a tool shed and not a big one. Because he has seated you in heavenly places. He has made us to walk heaven. He has made us to walk up in that place to see this nation. There are more than 20 million people in this nation going to hell right now. And it's easy to go, oh, yes, God saved them. But you know what God's saying? He says, I have given you a resource to think bigger. I have given you the ability to go higher. But will you step up there or will you keep crawling on your belly like the devil? You see, Satan's plan is to keep us at this level down here, to see everything around us as bigger than what we are. Because it keeps us thinking small. It keeps us thinking limited. But God says, no, no, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. But we don't. We seek our own comfort. We seek our own pleasure. We seek what is safe. We seek to preserve what we already have. 
He says, no, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, his way of living is what righteousness means. Seek his righteousness. He's made you righteous, but we still need to seek to live in that path. And you can't do that down here. Because if you live down here, everything around you looks bigger than you. And so fear and doubt and limited thinking comes in and you miss out on what he has for you. I can't tell you the amount of people I've seen with amazing talents, with amazing skills that never stepped into their destiny because of how they thought. And I'm talking about, I remember seeing this lady who could sing brilliantly and she got into this school where they were going to develop her talent and she was one of these people that you would have seen, you know, as a superstar if she'd done that. And she went to this school on the first day and they messed up her enrolment and so she left. And got offended. And never stepped into what God had for her. And I've seen that happen time and time and time again. People with brilliant skills, with brilliant talent and abilities, but because they're down here and not going up there and not seeing God's bigger picture and not dreaming bigger than where they are, they miss out on what he has. What you have is a tool and a resource for the kingdom of God. But can you honestly say, looking back over this last week, you've used what you have to build his kingdom? Can you honestly say over this last week, over this last year, that you sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because he says he'll add everything else unto you. Are you like Jerry Seville sitting in that meeting just hoping that you'll get that little bit of land to do what you want to do? Or are you boldly walking in because you're on a higher plane and going, you know what? God goes before me and makes a way that is greater than anything I can imagine. Are you using what you have to build his kingdom? Or are you too busy crawling on the ground trying to preserve what you have, living in fear? You know, a term I hear all the time is, Oh, but, you know, we, we hit this wall and it's like, yeah, but I've got issues with that and I've got issues with that. You know what I've discovered? If you've got issues with things, don't hold on to them. When you understand an issue, get rid of it. There's this mentality in life now that we identify the areas that we struggle and then we identify them, we identify in those things. Rather than going... You know, if, if I had a weakness in giving, you know how I beat the weakness in giving? You give. If I've got a, if I, I had a weakness around healing and health, and I can either sit back and go, oh yeah, that's a weakness in my, or I can go, oh, I'm going to tackle that. And so if I've got a weakness, then I come in the opposite. So that I'm strong in that area. You know, while we're controlling and people come and go, I don't know this and that. And we don't go, oh, that's such a pity. Okay, we'll have to take that out of your job. Said no employer ever. (laughs) It would. But no, what do you do? You go, fine, let's find out how we can skill you in that area. And you start to skill people in it and they get excited about it and suddenly they're an expert in that area and they're teaching other people. 
You see, that's how we need to approach life. That God has every resource for us to achieve what we want to achieve and we've got to think bigger. and We've got to start stepping into our destiny and our purpose. And the problem is that we're letting go of our dreams because we're crawling around in our bellies rather than stepping into heaven. You see, when you step into heaven and you step into the presence of God, he starts to release his dreams and visions in you because you start to see bigger. And when you start to see bigger, those dreams become possible because you get a new perspective. Have you ever seen those shots from NASA when they're out there in the space station and you look down on Earth and it's just this little ball? You really want a perspective? Go down to SciTech and go up into their galaxy thing where it shows Earth and then it starts to zoom out to the point where you can't even see it the size of a pinprick. Because the universe is so large. That's the perspective we have to get. That everything on this earth is insignificant and is seed. Everything you have is seed. What are you doing with your seed? You see, the Bible says that he provides food to eat and seed to sow. I think our problem is that we're eating our seed we're supposed to sow. We're holding on to our stuff rather than going, how can I use this to build the kingdom of God? How can I use this to change somebody's life? How can I use this to make a difference? Because we're afraid. And you know why you get afraid? Because you're crawling on your belly. When you're down your belly, everything looks bigger. But you know what happens when you go up? Everything suddenly looks smaller because you realize that greater is God in you than he that's in the world. You know, life is going to bring troubles and issues. I promise you that much. It's going to throw stuff at you that isn't pleasant, that isn't nice, that's difficult to deal with. It's going to happen. It's happened in the past. It's going to keep happening because we live in a fallen world. The question is, what are you going to do with it? You see, the idea of that stuff coming and beating into you is to try and beat life out of you and get you to settle and go, I can't do that. It's too hard. There's a saying that we use in training. There's not a lot of traffic. There's never a traffic jam on the second mile. The first mile, everybody's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that second mile... When it takes that little bit extra effort, when you've got to push through the hard stuff, when you've hit failure and you've got to get back up and go again, there's never a traffic jam on that second mile because most people give up. Most people let life beat it out of them. That's when you really have to go up. If you've hit the wall, if you've had hard stuff, then count it all joy when you endure trials. Because he that is in you is greater than anything this world can dish up. But you can't do it crawling on your belly. You have to go up and get that new perspective. You have to go up and see things from God's perspective. And you have to look at everything you've got with an open hand. And go, it's seed. How can I use this as seed? How can I give this as seed? And God will supply all your needs.
according to his riches and glory. You know what? God's never let us down. There's been times where it's been blimmin' hard. There's been times where we've had to really push through. There's been times where you know, we are down the back of the couch looking for change to go and buy some bread or milk. Been through that. But God is faithful. We've never starved. We've never gone without a meal. We may have had two-minute noodles for the meal, but we've never gone without a meal. If you like two-minute noodles, you don't understand that, but when you eat it three times a week, it's a bit much. But you know what? God's always made a way through. We've always had somewhere to live. Because he's faithful. And you have to go up and see it. What you have is just seed. And I found that as we keep sowing, he keeps delivering. And we keep going up and we keep going up. I mean, the first house that we used for ministry was 90 square metres. The whole house. We used to have a youth group in there. Yes, we had holes in our walls. Yes, the place was a big mess. We had to redo the whole lot just about. But you know what? People got saved. We saw 13-year-old girls who didn't want to talk about God within this like three-month period were walking around school having prayer meetings and bringing their friends who are atheists to, the, to this group. And it wasn't because of anything we did. It was because we opened our house and said, come in. Let's talk about Jesus. And we went up and we prayed and we spoke over that. And we saw amazing miracles. We saw people get healed. We saw God do amazing breakthroughs. Was it easy? Absolutely not. It was tough. It was hard. It was challenging. But God is faithful. And lives are changed. What are you using? What have you got that you're holding on to? It's time to change your perspective and seek him first. You want to seek God? Don't do it crawling in the dirt because he's not there. He's up. And he's saying, come up. Come up. I've made a way. Come up. It's not difficult. Come up. I've seated you in heavenly places. Come up. Get a new perspective. See what I want to do with your life. Take what you have and use it as seed. You know, you've got a choice. You can look back over the last year and go, oh, wow, I'm in the same place I was a year ago. I'm doing the same things I was a year ago and nothing much has changed. You know what? You can be this time next year and have that same conversation. Or you can take what you have and change your perspective. And see what you have as seed. And go up and see what God wants to do. And then start doing it. I promise you, when you start doing it, it's not going to be easy. When you start doing it, there's going to be opposition. When you start doing it, there's going to be difficult times. You're going to watch someone come into your home or your car or whatever it is that, that is precious to you. And not use it in the way that you want it used. And do things with it that you don't want done. And you'll go, but you know what? Just stay up, you'll get over it. 
you realize it's just stuff. Yeah, I looked at the hole in the wall after these two kids and went, yeah, I know he did that. It's just a wall. We can patch it. In the meantime, I can patch that kid's life. You know, I mean, one of our young guys decided that we were away to take our car out into the bush and get it bogged in the salt pen. And you got to go, it's just a car. We can tow it. It's all right. Because when they start telling people about Jesus, because they know that you're bigger than your car, that you're bigger than those situations, you start to influence their lives. I'm not saying cast your pearls before swine. I'm saying, are you using what you have for a seed? Whose life are you changing? Or are you settling back into where you are? Because any time you settle, that ain't Jesus. The devil's plan is to either get you to settle, beat the crap out of you, or kill you. Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll steal your dream and motivation and vision. He'll try and kill off anything God's doing in your life and he'll try and destroy you and your family. And if you're settling, he's already winning. If what you have isn't seed, he's already winning. You've got to come up and see what God has for your life and run the race. You go, I'm feeling tired. You need to go up and get refreshed. I don't know what to do. Then go up and get God's perspective. It's too hard. Then go up because his burden is easy and his yoke is light. I'm sorry, but God's got an answer for every objection you've got. The question is, what will you do with it? You see, the greatest thing, I'll finish with this, the greatest thing that we can do is love. And I have a feeling that when we stand before God, he's not going to ask us all these complex questions. I think he's going to ask us, did we love? Did we love? And see, love's not a feeling. It's an act of your will. It's a choice. You can't fall in and out of love. Love is a choice no matter what's going on. But love has action attached to it. Yeah, If I could tell Dale I love her but never ever showed her, never did anything for her, never had any affection for her, it wouldn't matter what I said. It matters what you do. Are you walking in love?